You're listening to the Florida Bar Podcast, brought to you by the Florida Bar's Practice Resource Center, Legal Fuel, produced by the broadcast professionals of the Florida Bar. Welcome to the Florida Bar's Legal Fuel Podcast, brought to you by the Practice Resource Center of the Florida Bar. We're so glad you're joining us. This is Christine Bilbury. I'm the director of the Practice Resource Center and one of the hosts of the show, which is being recorded from our studio in Tallahassee, Florida. And I'm Carla Eckhart. I'm a senior practice management advisor at the Florida Bar and a co-host of today's podcast. Our goal at the Practice Resource Center is to assist Florida attorneys with running the business side of their law practices. We focus on a different topic each month and carry the theme through our website with related tips, videos, and articles. So lately, it seems like we are all trying to get back to normal, but we're not quite sure what normal looks like as we navigate new situations that the old rules don't really cover. So today, we want to assist our listeners by discussing some new rules of professional etiquette in the Zoom era. This topic is timely because the Florida Supreme Court has partnered with the bar to declare November Legal Professionalism Month and is asking members to rededicate themselves to the highest ideals of professionalism and civility in all that they do. And this is certainly not a new issue. Back in 1996, an ABA committee recommended the adoption and enforcement of codes of civility and an initiation of conferences on civility, etiquette, and professionalism. That same year, the Florida Supreme Court and the Florida Bar created the Center for Professionalism to promote and instill the ideals of character, civility, competence, and commitment in the legal profession. So joining us today to help us with all our modern professional etiquette dilemmas is Mr. Manners himself, Thomas Farley. Thomas Farley is a keynote speaker, workshop leader, syndicated columnist, and TV commentator. His clients have included the U.S. Department of Commerce, the Estee Lauder Companies, J.P. Morgan Chase, the Walt Disney Corporation, Bank of America, the American Automobile Association, and the U.S. Army. Thomas is a regular and popular guest on the NBC Today show where he fields questions on modern day manners issues. In 2017, he debuted Manners on the Move, a special multi-part Today show series that examined incivility in America. His syndicated column Ask Mr. Manners appears in Tribune publications throughout the United States. His insights appear regularly in other media as well, including Rachel Ray, Inside Edition, Dr. Oz, The New York Times, The LA Times, Wired, and Money Magazine. Thomas is a graduate of New York's Fordham University. He's been a guest lecturer at New York University's School of Continuing and Professional Studies, and he edited the anthology Modern Manners, The Thinking Person's Guide to Social Graces. Welcome to the show, Thomas. Christine, thank you so much. What a a beautiful introduction. (laughs) So I think this quote from your website sums up the topic nicely. Mr. Farley says, these are challenging times for good etiquette. As the United States emerges from this long and difficult pandemic, we're all navigating new realities. For anyone striving to rebuild connections while also establishing meaningful new ones, it is vital that they consider the ways that they can uplift every interaction through graciousness and consideration. I love that. But can you tell our listeners a little bit about the path that led you to this profession? Sure. It'd be my pleasure. I, uh, I built the earlier part of my career working in magazine publishing and landed at Town & Country Magazine, where I was the Social Graces editor. And I really relished the opportunity to take this column as a chance to expand the dialogue of what it means to be well-mannered. And I think often people hear the word etiquette in particular, and they think of something that was forged in 1873 that has, you know, were written in granite, never to be altered or adjusted uh, from then on until kingdom come. And the reality is etiquette is, first of all, it's French for ticket. And so this idea that etiquette is your ticket to successful interactions and to making others around you feel comfortable, I think gives us a broader perspective on what it really means to have good etiquette. It's not necessarily about knowing what fork to use or knowing what spoon to use or how to address a wedding invitation, but it's the everyday interactions that we have where people are coming in contact with other human beings 
often in unfamiliar situations. And etiquette as a concept is designed not to be frozen in time, but rather to evolve and to adapt to new situations as they arise. And uh, certainly no more have we seen that uh, than during these last 20 months of pandemic. Absolutely. So I think, you know, the real value of etiquette is uh, learning how to put others at ease, that it's, you're right, it's not about the 14 forks. But I want to jump right in with the big question. What are some etiquette transgressions that you have seen committed on video conferences? I think we've all spent a lot of time in Zoom lately. So what are you seeing and, and what tips do you have? Yes. So I, in, in my, and I do, as you mentioned, I do workshops around the country and I would do keynotes around the country and I very, and, and for your audience's context, um, these, and maybe we can talk about this a little later in the podcast, but I do quite a lot of work as well with law firms. And, and this fall in particular has been a flurry of requests from law firms all around the globe uh, to help their employees as we all migrate back into some sort of hybrid uh, work arrangements. But I think, uh, you know, we've now, you know, perhaps back in the day, pre-pandemic, which seems like 100 years ago, even though it was just coming up on two years ago, that this all became our reality. Uh, many of us had had experiences with Skype or with FaceTime, but the idea that we'd be spending so much time on camera is something that is a brand new, um, was a brand new concept at that time. And I think there was definitely a learning curve for professionals as they thought about how do they project their best self on camera in a way that allows them to carry forth a good first impression and a lasting great impression. And again, in my workshops that are in person, I speak about the importance of that first seven seconds you have in any engagement when you're face-to-face. And the things that people need to be mindful of when they're having those interactions. So in face-to-face interactions and in in-person interactions, it's everything from your handshake to your eye contact to the shoes you've chosen to wear that day, your body language, your tone of voice. When we're on video, we are bereft of so many of those things because we're not an in-person presence. We're a rectangle or a square. And we really, we have to think about the tools that we do have available to us when we're on video and maximizing them. So, and I'll say even myself, as someone who's a regular TV commentator, I'm very accustomed to being in a TV studio and and very at ease sitting in front of a camera. Um, But I hadn't done an awful lot of video conferencing and certainly not a lot of TV appearances that were on video. And I really had to up my own game Uh, When it came to conversations such as this, which are just audio, but um, my video uh, interactions with television stations, I found my internet speed, which I think here in New York, I have had something which was called extreme internet, which sounded like it would have been lightning fast. It turned out uh, I was paying crazy money for something that was, you know, yesterday's technology. So I'd upgrade that, learn that very quickly when during a uh, segment of Good Morning Arizona. I froze on a live uh, feed with uh, with live television viewers. And of course, um, you know, weathermen always have such a, or meteorologists, but in this case, a weatherman always have such funny sense of humor. Uh, after I froze, uh, the weatherman said to the host, well, that wasn't very mannerly of Mr. Manners. And I got to see all of this, <laughs> all, all of this, uh, you know, when, of course, whenever you freeze, it's never on like a flattering, beautiful posed shot. It's always your mouth is half open and your eyes half closed. So um, anyway, so I very quickly learned I needed to upgrade what I thought was even lightning fast internet, but my lighting, thinking about my TV set, and I think I recommend that to all of your listeners that you may or may not ever have had aspirations of being on television. Effectively, anytime you're on a video chat or a video conference, you are the host of a talk show. And Mm -hmm. you should likewise think about your lighting. You should think about what are you wearing? Uh, What what is your environment? Is there a laundry basket with unfolded laundry draped over the side? Uh, You know, is your your dog in the background, uh, you know, running in circles? Do you have a a ceiling fan whirring above your head that looks like your uh, helicopter about to take off? So all of these kind of little tips and tricks I think are things that we probably didn't give much thought to. And certainly you don't ever have to think about on an audio conference call. Um, so they're, they're all a part of our new reality. And I think we've all gotten better at it. 
I would highly recommend, in addition to just these couple of tips I've shared, there's a great Twitter account called Rate My Skype Room. And uh, it's a, um, a duo known as the Room Raiders. And they basically, they watch as talking heads on TV, people like me, uh, you know, occasional talking heads. Uh, and they rank everything from the white blank wall with nothing on it behind them to the sloppy bookshelf behind them. And although it can get a little snarky, uh, I find it's a great learning opportunity for all of us, whether or not you're ever on television. I follow that account. I love that. Like you get extra points for a pineapple. There's little like yes. Easter eggs that they, they've put into it. No, but I mean, you can tell because people have gotten very competitive. So they've gotten more serious about their setups. But I like the point that you're making because when when someone is doing a lot of Zoom calls, they think, well, I don't have to go into the office anymore. But instead, you've invited people into your home. So yeah, the laundry basket is is a faux pas if you were having dinner guests. So you shouldn't be doing it on the Zoom call either. So that's a good point. And, you know, again, it's I, I love that you bring up Internet. We're very tech focused. And I think people forget that you can't have these video conferences without Internet. And part of that is being mindful of what your tech needs are and what the requirements are. And, and that's certainly a, a part of etiquette that people pre-pandemic would not have considered, you know, what their tech needs were. So I love that you brought that up. Um Sticking to attorneys specifically, they're extremely busy people. Um, what is the best way to handle that call that you simply must take, even though you're on screen with a whole group of people watching you? So you kind of touched upon that, but it, it, let's say it's a la- you know a last minute call. You've got no notice. You have no time to prepare. The judge is calling. Right. What do you do? Sure. So I think um, taking even just one, thank you for that, Carla, uh, taking one step back um, as we think about the setup and the reason for a video call. And I think uh, the, the, you know, kind of de facto conversation now suddenly almost overnight has become, well, if we're going to talk, we're going to do it on Zoom or we're going to do it on Teams, whether or not video is actually required. And I think uh, we've read tons, of course, about Zoom fatigue and it's, it's a real thing. And, and I think certainly for attorneys and associates and paralegals who are pouring over, over briefs all day long, uh, many of them, um, the fact that now you've got to fold into that equation, staring at your camera and looking lively and attentive, and that's exhausting. So I think uh, just because we have this technology, which I love, and it's, it's such a valuable tool and I fully embraced it, doesn't mean that every call has to be video. So I think if you're the call organizer, I think it's important for you to really assess, is this just a knee-jerk thing? Am I making this a team's call just because? Or is there a valid reason for us to be on camera? Because of course, if it's if it's audio only, it's going to be a lot easier for you to nip out uh, if you have to take a call or have to accept a call than it will be if you're on camera. Um, but okay, so say you are on a call and camera really makes sense and it's um, perhaps it's a small group of you. I think there are kind of different solutions depending on the group. If it's a small group of you, I would not just mute yourself and and pick up the phone and uh, and start uh, you know jabbing away where we see your mouth moving, even though you've gratefully muted yourself. I think if it's a small group, I would um, simply uh, you know kind of maybe put up a finger like this. You know what I'm what I'm doing here is I'm holding up my index finger, and I would say uh, you know everyone, I'm so sorry. I need to I need to take this call very quickly. It's Judge So and So about the such and such case. Um, I'll be right back on as soon as we're done. So I think that's the polite thing to do for a small group. Uh, If it's a large group, maybe you're on a a firm-wide call, I would not, clearly, I would not interrupt uh, a conversation with 200 people on a call to let everyone know that you've got something really important (laughs) about to happen. So I would simply turn off your camera if you were on camera and absolutely 100% turn off your mic. Okay. That's the thing that I was looking for because this literally has happened to me. I've been summoned to a Zoom call. I'm making a presentation and I'm just watching someone with their feet on their desk taking a cell phone call. And it's so, it's it's kind of just demoralizing. Like, you know, you're saying to the other people in the meeting, you're just not important enough for me to. Right. I think if, if you must take that call um, and you don't want to interrupt the conversation, perhaps turn off your camera momentarily. Um, well, or, and don't forget to mute yeah, as well. We and don't mute hear. yourself and maybe put something in the chat discreetly. 
discreetly saying, I'm so sorry, I have to take this call, I'll be right on. But, you know, don't don't just pretend like you're ignoring the person who's speaking because that that's just rude. Okay. So in the beginning, you talked about that, that important seven seconds. And I love that because you're making this impression. And so we've all been trained by our moms, you know, or our dads, eye contact, firm handshake, introduce yourself. So now... Uh, we are slowly returning to in-person meetings and client consultations, but it's even more awkward. How do we navigate the greetings and handshakes in a pandemic world? Yes, absolutely. And actually, if I could just table that question for just one quick moment, because before we move on from the video, uh, there's one thing that I do want to add, which I hear a lot about, especially from my attorney clients is the idea of not being the one person on the call who's decided that you are not going to turn your camera on and you are the black screen while everyone else is there Brady bunching their Brady bunch best. And, <laughs> <laughs> and we just see that big black hole for you. I, I, or, or even, you know, slightly better, but not perfect. Uh, you're still photograph. There are certainly going to be reasons why that may be necessary, such as the example we just discussed. In, in all um, seriousness, though, I think it's important if, if you, you've all decided that video is the best platform for this call and you summarily have decided that you just don't feel like participating, maybe because you're having a bad hair day or because your home looks messy or whatever the reason may be, it's, it's really insensitive. And I've actually been on calls that were set up as a video call where it's just two or three of us and I've shown up with my camera on and, you know, looking straight into the camera and smiling and I'm, I'm hearing the person, but I'm looking at a, a black box and I find that it's a, it's a power play and uh, on the part of the person who doesn't have the camera on. And to me, it's almost like the equivalent of that interrogation room on a, on a crime show where you've got the police <laughs> detective kind of interrogating the subject, but then there's the two way mirror and we all know there's someone behind there. We can't see them. They can see us. So uh, I think, uh, you know, technology, notwithstanding, you know, you know, fell out of their their high chair, notwithstanding. If you if you turned your camera off, uh, let there be a very good reason for why it's off, and um, try and have it back on as quickly as possible, so that there's not this unequal dynamic in the conversation. I'm so glad you added that, and that's the perfect analogy. That it's yes. it's the interrogation room with the two way the mirror. That's great. Um, but so now we're. We've moved past and we're back in, whether we want to be there or not, we're back in the office. Yes. What are we doing? Like, how are we, are we touching each other with our shake handshakes? No. What are we doing? I don't know. Well, it's, it's so interesting that you both single out the handshake as, as the question mm -hmm. that you've chosen to lead off this thread of the conversation, because the program that has been, that's proven wildly popular for my law firm clients here uh, in, in the U.S., primarily in the U.S., um, has been a program I do called To Shake or Not to Shake. And ah. it's, it's based on this idea that even pre-pandemic, there were people who, and I, I encountered them all the time, who just hated handshakes. They thought they were germy. They thought they were gross. They didn't like touching another person. Uh, so I, I was constantly kind of having to advocate for the importance of a good, solid handshake. And even if you were averse to it, this is the way in Western society that we greet one another in a business setting, that it was important to cultivate and to work on your handshake, even if it was something you weren't super comfortable with. Religious reasons, of course, and objections notwithstanding. Once the pandemic entered, we suddenly had all of these uh, somewhat useful, somewhat wacky options and alternatives to shaking hands. And, you know, I call to mind the foot shake, uh, which I don't know if you knew that or ever saw that one. But, I mean, I'm not was, familiar with that one. Yeah, it was kind of absurd. And it, it had a hot minute of about a month, one in March and April of 2020, where you basically you raised your, your you, know, you have shoes on, but you raise your, your foot in the air and the other person does the same. And you kind of tap the sides of your feet together and in the air, your feet go up and down next to one another. Absolutely ridiculous. Um, I'm sure many people just <laughs> toppled over trying to do this. Uh, <laughs> But the the good news is, I think there are now some other viable, truly viable and, and professional ways of greeting one another. And we've got so many that have come into our common parlance and the way we interact with one another. And I think we do 
have those alternatives. So I am a particular fan of the namaste bow, where you kind of put your hands together and you do a slight bow. As you see, you know, this is more uh, from uh, from yogi culture and even certain Asian cultures where you might see that. But it's, it's very common to see that now in Western civilization. Uh, the fist bump, I think, is is fine. It's a, it's a nice alternative as long as it's not done too forcefully. Um, the elbow bump, same thing. So, uh, you know, there were there were uh, a lot of conversations early on of is this the death of the handshake? Is the handshake gone forever? And I was really kind of promoting this idea early on that the handshake has been around since Egyptian times. You see it on cave drawings and hieroglyphics, and it signals trust, it signals understanding, it signals agreement, it signaled back when this was an issue, although maybe it's an issue again, that you're not armed. Uh, so the handshake really did play a vital role in establishing that connection when you're meeting someone. So uh, it, it is not going away. We do have these alternatives, but yes, we do have this kind of weird time that we're living through right now where we've been told six feet of distance and mask and scrub down your groceries and, you know, don't touch anyone's hand. And so I think we, we have this kind of training wheels period again, a lot of us, as we migrate most of us into some kind of a hybrid work situation where uh, we, we will be in situations where someone may put their hand out to shake ours and maybe we're not there yet, or maybe we'll find that we've done the opposite and they're not there and, and we're left hanging with our hand out and, and they're not reciprocating. So I think my best advice on this particular point is to take the cue, not the lead. So okay. you should not be the one to thrust your hand out for a handshake. You want to wait for the other, especially if this is a client or a boss, someone's, you know, in a superior position to you, you want to wait to see what they do first. If it's a stalemate and you're both staring at each other, looking sheepish and not, no one knows what to do, then I would just be the bigger person and say what both people are clearly thinking. You know, uh, you know, it's so great to see you. Are we, are we shaking hands kind of even stammer your way through it? I think is a nice way of just putting everybody at ease. And maybe it might even be that you're hugging because you're work mm-hmm. friends and you haven't seen each other in ages and you're both okay with that. And maybe hugging is less germy in your mind than even shaking a hand. So I think having that conversation in those initial moments, um, the Harvard Business Review did a story on this recently, and they called it the hazardous 30 seconds, the hazardous first 30 seconds. And it's that first 30 seconds of an interaction where post-pandemic, we're trying to gauge uh, how comfortable are we around this person? Is this person being mindful of our uh, self-preservation concerns? And I, 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 I like that you're giving us choices because um, based on the relationship, you know, you're going to do different things. I think germaphobes are thoroughly enjoying this. I'm going to call my own dad out. So he loves, yeah, when everyone had to wear a mask, he'd still hug us, but it was, you know, his head turned far away. Everyone had to be masked and vaccinated. But so I get this. I am not aware of the foot shake. I'm glad you told me that because if someone gave me their foot, I want them to be comfortable. I'd like to be gracious. I'd have no idea what they were doing. Uh, you know, perhaps Carla and I will try that out at work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Negative. <laughs> I, I do have a question about masks, a follow-up question to the weird handshake. So I have found myself having to actively and and sort of project a good morning or a good afternoon because before it would be a sort of a smile or, you know, they could hear you, see you saying hi, even if they couldn't hear you. Uh, have you seen any changes in how people are verbally greeting each other with masks on? Yeah, great question, Carla. I think it's Super important. It, and, and, you know, we're kind of in, in the, the workplace and in our interactions, it seems like the masking is on the wane as people get vaccinated and people feel more comfortable. Certainly when we were in the stage where, you know, people were masking and, and Dr. Fauci was saying to double mask, uh, you know, it was that much harder not just to be seen that you were smiling, but to even be heard because as you're, you know, you're talking through, you know, a single or, a, or double mask or an N95 mask, super thick mask. So, yes, I think the way we show uh, our friendly countenances, so that big smile, uh, Tyra Banks has something called smizing. Now, this predates the pandemic. But this idea of being able to smile with your eyes uh, is something that she's long promoted. Now, of course, she's a supermodel and she gets paid to be able to do <laughs> things like this. 
But I think the more you can, our eyes are, uh, you know, the window to the soul, as we know, but they're also a window to how we're feeling that day. Mm -hmm. And you can, I mean, just as an experiment sometime, if you have nothing better to do, sit in front of a mirror and, and cover your mouth with your hand and just, you know, make different faces. I'm going to look mad. I'm going to look happy. I'm going to look surprised. Uh, eyes tell all. So, uh, you know, until we have to actually cover our eyes as well as our mouths, I think we still have the opportunity to be able to show friendliness, show confusion, show whatever it is that we mean, may need to display in any given interaction. And I think for the person standing opposite us in a conversation, it's vital that we do make eye contact. If we're looking at our phone, if we're looking off in the distance, there are so few cues that we have available to us when we're either virtual or when we're in person and we're matched. If you are not taking, as, as a listener and as a speaker, you're not taking advantage of the one thing that you really have that can help you, help clue you into what's going on in the mind of the person opposite you, which is what's, what their eyes are saying, you're miss, really missing out on a vital piece of information. So I think it's possible. It's harder. Um, it also means that we have to enunciate more and project more, especially if you're speaking through a mask. Mm -hmm. um, and I think I love that you brought that up because it's an upside. I find myself uh, making a point of making significant eye contact with the people that I engage with. And I hope that we keep that. Um, but that's our first assignment to our listeners. Everyone go practice your smize. Smile with your <laughs> eyes. I love that. Okay. So I'm going to pivot a little bit. Social media has become a very big part of modern day marketing plans, especially for attorneys. But what are some things that individuals should keep in mind before they hit post? Sure. So in general, I, I think you know, so there are different platforms that are used in different ways. So I think people come to and use LinkedIn, for example, as a means of making professional connections, as a means of sharing articles of industry interest. And so I would be active on that platform. I think it's, it's almost, uh, uh, almost a prerequisite for any professional under the age of 95 to have a really great LinkedIn profile and recommendations. And I would say give and receive references and recommendations freely. One of my favorite things to do is, is not just, you know, say, you know, does Christine know about podcasting? Check mark. But actually to write, take the time and actually write some nice things about you. I think it's a, it's a wonderful gift, when it's, especially when it's unsolicited to be able to do that for someone. Um, on LinkedIn, the biggest fail I see are photographs that are not professional at all. That, uh, you know, clearly, you know, you were at a party somehow and you liked this shot of your face and you've got somebody cropped out or you, there's like an arm on your, on your shoulder from the person standing next to you and you've just kind of cropped it out to make a headshot. Uh, not professional. So that's the primary cardinal sin I would say I see on LinkedIn. But I think it's a, a wonderful way of connecting and do it thoughtfully when you are connecting. Don't just hit that connect button, but actually add a little note when you're looking to establish a connection with someone. Uh, it takes a, you know, a few extra seconds, but I think it's worth the, the time and the risk. So I think every one of the, your listeners should certainly just do a, do a quick check of their LinkedIn profile and make sure it's projecting the best professional image for them. Other social media platforms, different stories. So, uh, you know, whether you're, you know, the TikTok attorney or, uh, you know, you're, you're on the beach, I think you have to think about how are you using this social media platform? And even if you've got it as a by request private feed, such as you could on Instagram, uh, just because you've buttoned it up that way does not mean that your clients are not going to see, you know, the, the shot of you on the beach, which maybe is not super flattering or maybe too flattering. And uh, it maybe cause some embarrassment to you if, if one of your, either your colleagues or a client sees it. So I think it's fine to have uh, any of these social media platforms. They're a way of reaching people. But I would, I would simply be 100% aware that whatever it is that you're posting, whether it's a, a, a viewpoint on something, a political viewpoint on, on something that maybe you're posting on Facebook, or a photograph of you that is slightly edgy for whatever reason, I, I would really I, I think long and hard before I posted that because once it's out there, even if you've got a private account, it's, someone will see it and it will most likely come back to haunt you. I keep my accounts separate so that I don't, you know, and I, and they are locked down, but I do have, I'm glad you brought in up LinkedIn because this is, 
in real life, if someone, if you are endorsing someone or you're saying this is a person who is in my network, shouldn't you actually know them? Is it, do you have to accept every LinkedIn connection if you, you know, I, I don't, if I don't know them, I don't, I love that people reach out, but at the same time, I take it very seriously. What's your opinion on that? I, you know, I think it depends on your goals, uh, how you're, how you're using LinkedIn. I think if you're really using it as a means to make your own outreach to specifically targeted companies or targeted individuals, or as a means of just remaining professionally in contact with those that you've had, that you've done business with, then I think your standard works perfectly fine. On the other hand, maybe you're a young professional, maybe you're just starting out and you have, you have no network. You've got, you know, 9 million TikTok followers, but you have one friend on LinkedIn. Um, I think reaching out to people you don't know, I think it's fine. Now that doesn't mean that they have to, nobody's under any obligation to accept your request. And frankly, even if you do know the person, maybe you don't particularly care for them or hold them in high regard. You're still not obligated to accept their request, but I think that's a standard for each person to ponder. How how are you using this platform? And if you simply are using it as a means of discovering new, interesting people who are doing things that inspire you, um, and, and you know, myself, if someone reaches out reaches out to me and they don't seem like some uh, you know insane stalker, uh, you know, they're a professional who clearly has had a career. Uh, and or they've included included a nice note in their outreach to me. I, I personally, I would accept that without reservation um, because that's that's how I would I would be using the platform myself. Okay, great. So, uh, speaking of a nice note, an, another little pivot um, in in a law firm kind of employee or a law firm applic- employee applicant uh, kind of relationship. Uh, should applicants still be sending handwritten thank you notes as a follow-up to an interview with a firm? And on the flip side, should a firm be reaching out to the applicant to thank them for their application and, you know, ultimately of their decision, whether it's a hire or, you know, they've decided to go in a different direction? This is such a fascinating topic for this time that we're living through. And although I imagine this is not happening so much, and I can't believe that it would be the legal professional, especially at a, at a high level of hire. If you're an associate, uh, if you've got an associate offer, I, I doubt that this would happen. But I've been reading quite a lot lately about new hires that simply ghost their job. They're they're hired and okay, mm-hmm. your first day is Monday and then you just literally never show up and you don't explain why, you just don't come. And although I find that obviously very, very unprofessional, I, I thought, uh, I read a, uh, another story, I think it might have been in the Wall Street Journal, that talked about how um, perhaps this is payback for all the, the decades of employers who you go on six interviews and you're there with your shoes shined and your cufflinks brilliant and you never hear anything. And they say, you know, well, we're looking at your, your final letter, your seventh interview, we're looking to make a decision in the next seven days. And seven days go by and seven days turns into seven weeks and you still haven't heard anything, which I think is just horrible. You, as, as a candidate in good faith, you've shown up and have, have crossed off all the boxes. And for whatever reason, budget, they hired someone else, their, chan- their plans change. The fact that they don't get back to you, I think, is just unacceptable. So if okay. this uh, kind of awakening that corporations are going through and, and the difficulty they're having attracting good people causes them to be a little bit more thoughtful with respect to the applicants and the candidates that they actually interview, uh, I think that's a good thing. Uh, Now, for the applicants themselves, the job candidates, I think, yes, your question, should they send a thank you note? I think if they want the job, they should. Uh, Is it it, it an absolute requirement? No. Is it expected? No. But it's for that very reason that it's not expected that I think if you want to stand out, I would definitely send the note. And what I recommend any job candidate, whether it's for a law firm, a bank, or a coal mine, is you go on your interview and you bring with you, bring, if this is an in-person interview, you bring with you a, a thank you note, an envelope, a stamp, you get the business card of the person who's just interviewed you, and you leave that interview and you sit down on a park bench uh, or an atrium outside that office and you write that note out right then and there. Well, it's fresh in mind. 
you pop it in the mailbox. So hopefully, I know the mail is, is not always so reliable these days, but hopefully they'll get that note, same zip code to same zip code, within a couple of days of that interview. People do not peg text messages to refrigerators. People do not put emails up on cork boards usually, but they do with thank you notes. And so whether it's the gift you got from grandma or Hanukkah or the job interview that you just had, if you want to be remembered for all the right reasons, you send a handwritten thank you note, you will stand out in a very good way. That doesn't mean you don't also send an electronic thank you, which I would also do immediately after. So it's not an all or it's a one, you know, all of one or, or the other equation. You do both. And I would say something different in each correspondence. So for your, your electronic, thank you. You know, really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you for taking the time to meet with me. Uh, you know, if there's anything else that you need, please let me know. Looking forward to discussing next steps. Thank you for backing me up. I have three daughters, ages 19 to 26, and I've made them write thank you notes their whole lives, so they will be listening to this episode. I appreciate that. <laughs> and speaking of uh, that generation, uh, they kind of got it got us started, but texting used to be a casual way to communicate with close friends and family, but now clients expect the same immediate form of communication. What are some guidelines for professional texting? Oh, there's so many. And I think uh, how wonderful we live in an age where we've got so many and it's, and it's well beyond just emailing the phone and texting. We've got Slack, we've got internal messaging apps. I think there are uh, 9 million and one ways to be able to connect with one another. And yet uh, communication seems to continue to be the bane of so many people's existence, people who don't get back to uh, those who've sent them a message, people who are just completely unresponsive or only halfway responsive. So I think whatever platform you're choosing, if it's not a telephone, uh, landline telephone, or it's not email, I think it's vital that we think about how we're using these messaging tools, these instant messaging tools in a way that's thoughtful and considerate. And um, first and foremost to that, I would put, um, you're going to set a duration of time, an hour block where you're not texting someone after a certain hour or um uh, too early in the morning. And that's mindful, not of your time zone, but of theirs. So if you're dealing with Singapore, you're dealing with London, you're going to think about, okay, uh, you know, is it two in the morning there or is it two in the afternoon there? Okay. That's, that's fine. So I would keep my texting correspondence to perhaps what we might call extended business hours. So maybe eight to six or eight to eight to six or seven, I think would be really the window of time for someone who is not in your inner, inner circle. If this is one of your colleagues and you're working on something and you're all working late, uh, or this is a subordinate or your boss and there's a vital communication, then certainly sending it, uh, you know, nine, 10 o'clock. I don't love it. Um, I recognize that this is, this is the reality of the world that we live in. But I think that as a leader of a team, you really set the standard. And if you are sending texts out at midnight or 2 a.m. Uh, you and you expect to be answered, uh, I think you're really setting a horrible example for, you know, in, in all but the most emergency and truly emergency situations, I, I would not be doing that. So I would, I would be mindful of the time that you're sending and mindful of the time zone you're sending to. I'd be careful with any cute emojis or bitmojis or or gifs. I think can be um, fun and they play a role, providing that you really know your audience uh, and that you're not getting too cutesy with things. Uh, so they can lighten the day for sure. But I think you're going to do it sparingly. And if this is first time interaction with a client where you've never texted before and they said, oh, you know, text me an update. Here's my number. I would not be, you know, sending them people doing a happy dance in a, you know, in a little bitmoji. <laughs> uh, I think it could be generational. Mark Marin's podcast, he said, my mom doesn't understand that I love her, but I'm not in love with her. So the heart eyes is not appropriate. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> That's adorable. Yeah. No, it's, it's just being mindful. And, you know, I. I know like with Chris, between Christine and I, we'll send gifts or little emojis, but I feel like, you know, in a professional setting, uh, perhaps specifically with clients, you know, the lawyer, law firm, client relationship, um, maybe just don't, uh, you 
you know, unless you're friends with your client, which happens, mm-hmm. uh, you know, keep it professional. I, I, and I think that's what people forget all the time. If you wouldn't do it in person or, or anything like that, maybe don't do it through text. Oh, and the abbreviations that maybe not everyone knows what they mean. Yes. Um, and, not, and even if everybody does know what you, the letter you means, <laughs> uh, you know, let's face it, you're off the hook. If you're sending a text, you're off the hook of the time it takes to compose an email. If you can't take the time to write two additional characters, the Y and the O, to, to express you and all the variations thereof that we could uh, fixate on, I think you're really showing yourself to be lazy. And I, you know, maybe you think if you're older, it makes you sound hipper that you can write the letter R and the letter U and think that, you know, you're with the with the Gen Z crowd that you can write that way. I think it's, I think it's very lazy and I think it does the opposite of what you're intending. And it can be misinterpreted. Like, I'm just going to call out the grandmas in my life. Uh, they think LOL means lots of love. Right. And that just makes my daughters cackle. And they literally LOL, which yes. is laugh out loud. Yes. So, yeah, the mer- misunderstanding could be a real right. issue. And there's predictive text. So I love that you, you say it's lazy because you, it, you're literally going out of your way not to use the technology available to you, which is spelling out Y-O-U. <laughs> yes. And, and be mindful of that autocorrect because as much as that yes. AI can be helpful, a yes. lot of times it can really send a message that's completely different from what we wanted. So I know it's difficult. I feel like sometimes it's just you, like simultaneous to you hitting send, autocorrect decides it's going to jump in and be a gremlin on you. But mm-hmm. um, <laughs> if at all possible, wait before you hit that send button to make sure that you've proofread what you've written. And, and a, like a little tip, I suppose, for, again, the lawyer-client relationship is if you are communicating with your client over text because that's their preferred method of communication, perhaps consider writing lengthy, any lengthy messages or communications in like your notes app, reading it, making sure it's all spelled correctly, copy pasting it into your text um, so nothing gets autocorrected improperly or that you don't send something that you didn't mean to send. That's just a little tip. Yeah, we've all been victims of autocorrect. So uh, again, another pivot because you have so much valuable information. Um, Being that we're now coming back into the office, um, there's still a lot of employees or staff that may remain remote. I mean, I know there's entire divisions or departments in organizations that are being allowed to permanently work remotely. Um, is there some advice that you can offer firms that are dealing with resentment between staff members who are permitted to work remotely and staff members who report to the office every day? I'm hearing it a lot. And I think we've we've heard stories along these lines since the start of the pandemic. There have been, you know, the frontline workers and uh, security team, for example, in an office building that have had to be there day in and day out. Uh, and then the the folks who were fortunate enough to be able to not just work from home, but perhaps work from home in a gorgeous palatial home where they don't have to worry about being in a in a one bedroom apartment or a fifth floor walk up. And, you know, them kind of tweeting out, say, you know, hey, this pandemic ain't so bad, you know, and it's a shot of them by their swimming pool. And I'm thinking, well, you know, that's nice for you, um, but you really got to think about the resentment that that can engender because not everybody is as fortunate in such circumstances. And I think certainly in the legal firm, uh, in the legal world, there is a broad disparity when it comes to the compensation of a senior partner who's, you know, earned their right to get to where they are and paid their way through law school and all of it, uh, you know, versus somebody who is an admin. And uh, it seems, unfortunately, a lot of times it's it is the the uh, attorneys who, in particular, who have the flexibility to be able to work remotely or to work from home. And very often, it's the front line, whether it's the front desk receptionist or uh, or security mem- uh, team member who really does have to be in the office. So I'm hearing it a lot. I'm hearing it's not just the the legal profession, but I'm hearing it a lot from corporations where people are just angry. They feel like they've demonstrated their ability to work, not just adequately, but wonderfully, effectively, professionally throughout the pandemic, working from home remotely. And now suddenly they're being dragged back into the office because their job is deemed essential uh, for them to be in the office. Whereas others in the office um, get the option to continue to work from home as much as they want. 
So I think it's important for all of us just simply to be aware of, to be sensitive about. And I don't envy the Solomon-like decisions that these HR uh, team members have to be making about how, how do you get people back into the office in a way that seems fair and takes into account their needs. And um, I guess my one bit of thought on this really is, uh, you know, if your only reason for wanting somebody back in the office is, is simply because you feel like, you know, an office should have people in it and we need to have people back, whether, whether they did their job well during the pandemic or not. I think that's that's really yesterday's thinking, and I think we we certainly see we see it in Silicon Valley. But I think you know what starts there really does trickle to the rest of America, the American workforce. And I think if you feel you've got a legitimately happy team member who no longer has to drive, uh, you know, up I ninety five and sit in traffic for three hours to get to the office each way then I'd far rather that than feel the power play of like, no, I need my people in the office. And if you feel that that in-person interaction is, is that vital, maybe you think about doing some, some team offsites once or twice a month uh, to keep people engaged and, and allow people to feel like they have access to you and to one another. Um, but I think one of the, you know, and there aren't many silver linings to this pandemic, but I think one of them is that we've accelerated something that was a long time in the making that we can effectively work from home if we've got the right mindset and the right tools. And sometimes, and it's not for everyone, and it's not for every team and it's not for every company, but um, I'd be just mindful of not creating a haves and haves not uh, type situation with respect to people's work arrangements that you've really got to do that very equitably. So I want to, my last question is a little bit touchy, but we're, we're recording this before Thanksgiving. So it's going to come up at home and at work. So in addition to the pandemic, our country is also experiencing a big political divide. Do you have suggestions for ways to delicately handle this issue gracefully in one-on-one conversations. I mean, I, people, I, I respect, you know, the, uh, your passion and how you feel, but it makes things very awkward. What's the right way to handle it uh, when this comes up? Sure. So, and if we're thinking about, we're thinking about the workplace, uh, I think these are, these are dicey conversations to wade into. Uh, and I think we could make certain presumptions about the way someone might think politically and be completely wrong. I, myself, I, I live in New York City. I live in one of the most, I think, liberal democratic zip codes in the country is where I live. And yet I'm continually surprised by the viewpoints of people that I encounter. Uh, and I think that's just, for me, it's been such a great life lesson in the fact that you should never presume. So, you know, believing that you've got a captive, a sympathetic audience, I think is error number one uh, when it comes to this. And, th- and it's not just, you're right, we are so polarized and I hate to see it. Uh, it's not even just politics, it's, it's these safety guidelines, it's masking, it's vaccination. Uh, suddenly everybody's got not just like a, a kind of sort of opinion on things, it's just these opinions are as baked in as they could possibly be. And it's for that reason that unless you truly believe that you can have an offline respectful dialogue about something where it's not going to damage the work relationship or damage the the friendship or the family relationship, I wouldn't get into it. I, I just think, uh, you know, we're not going to ever think about this person the same way. They're probably not going to think about us the same way. Um, the, the idea that you know, if I could just present these five reasons why they should change their <laughs> mind, like a bell's going to go off and they're going to, they're going to say, you are so right. I'm so glad we had this conversation. When was the last time that happened to any of us? So I think it's better off. Now, does that mean that we just walk around and we only ever talk about the weather and, and boring pleasantries? No, I think there, there certainly are ways to engage, um, on these conversations. And I think the key is again, as I said before, you don't presume you do it in a respectful way. So you'll, you'll say things like, and, and you, uh, you, Christine, you just mentioned like, I respect and I appreciate and I hear you and, and you avoid what I call words of resistance or trigger words, which shut the other person down. So you're not going to say, unfortunately, you're not going to say, but however, except these words that when people hear them, they think, oh, well, you're not listening anyway. And now they're, they're feeling that much more disregarded. So if you can do it in a respectful way, if you can do it in a way that you're not keeping captive 
you know, all the people in the cubicle around you or all the people at the family dinner table around you. And you can actually, you know, just the two of you go off and caucus somewhere in a respectful way. Maybe you'll learn something and maybe they will too. And I'm all in favor of that, but just bringing it up, you know, so how about the, you know, how about those Democrats? How about those Republicans? You know, what's going on? This is a no win. It's a rabbit hole and you will not be able to climb out of it. Yeah. And everything's political. So good luck dancing through those conversations over the holidays and at work. But yeah, just be respectful and gracious. Read the room. Read yes. the room <laughs> or the virtual room. That's yes. right. <laughs> um, so to our listeners, if our discussion today has sparked additional questions, we want you to reach out to us by email at legalfuel at floridabar.org. And we will be posting some tips on our social media accounts. So look for Legal Fuel on Twitter and Facebook and feel free to respond. Um, it looks like we've reached the end of our program. Thank you so much, Thomas Farley, for joining us today. Thank you both for the conversation. I really enjoyed it. If our listeners want to learn more about you and the work that you're doing, where can they find those resources? Sure. And thank you for that opportunity. Uh, my website is Mr. Spelled Out, M-I-S-T-E-R hyphen manners.com. Uh, you can also find me uh, with that Mr. Manners moniker on uh, Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter. And, um, and as for LinkedIn, if uh, any of your listeners <laughs> want to send me a LinkedIn request, just do it with a note and let me know that, uh, that you heard this conversation and uh, I'd be happy, very happy to accept your request. And if I can help any of your listeners out with any of my workshops or keynotes, it would be my pleasure to. We're, we're living through very strange times. And what I'm hearing as we, as we go through what's being termed the great resignation, one of the best ways to keep employees satisfied, engaged, and in place is by offering them, as, as your podcast does so beautifully, continuing opportunities to learn. So uh, if that's of all, at all of interest, it'd be my pleasure to work with you on that as well. Excellent. And we'll be posting the links um, for Thomas's website um, below our podcast at LegalFuel.com. Uh, if you like what you heard today, please rate us an Apple Podcasts. Join us next time for another episode of the Florida Bar's Legal Fuel Podcast brought to you by the Practice Resource Center of the Florida Bar. I'm Christine Bilbury. And I'm Carla Eckhart. Until next time, thank you for listening. If you'd like more information about today's show, please visit LegalFuel.com. Don't miss an episode by subscribing to the Florida Bars podcast via iTunes, Google Podcast, Spotify, and RSS. Find the Florida Bars Practice Resource Center Legal Fuel on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by the Florida Bar. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.